0: mishna, Continuing with the theme of food categories. Hanoder asur beful Someone says, I'm not gonna have any dagan. The word dagan in biblical Hebrew means a grain, like the five grains. However, in later uh, Hebrew, as Rebim Meir is going to say, uh, Dagan comes to mean a, a more expanded definition of anything that is piled up, that you store it in a silo to, to dry for a long time. And therefore, uh, Egyptian beans are going to be also prohibited because they are stored in the same way. And so Dagan, in the regular usage, comes to include also dried Egyptian beans. That's according to Bimeir. However, Hachamim omrim, eno asur ella bechamesh So Hachamim says, no, that's not, a us- that's not the usual definition. The Gan's standard definition is referring only to the five grains that we know throughout Halacha. <clears throat> um, they're listed here. Although oats is not clear, should be that there should be one of them. But uh, instead of oats, which they did not have, probably other uh, species of bar of, of wheat. Uh, that's uh, instead of the oats. Okay, so therefore Chachamim would say that if you say, I'm not going to have Dagan, it would be permitted to have the Egyptian beans. And now we're going to continue, Machloket, uh, along similar lines. Oh, if you say the word tivua, that's different from Dagan. Dagan means anything that is piled up and storage, and, and, and store that way, whereas tivu'ah, that refers to the five species of grain. But Abime'id, repeating what he said above, says, no, Dagan is different from tivu'ah. From tivu'ah tivu'a is only the five. Dagan includes everything, not everything in the world, but meaning everything that is piled up. However, even Abime'id would agree that if you say, I'm not going to have Dagan, it's permitted to have fruit from trees and vegetables. They're not stored in that way, and therefore that is permitted. Okay, we have some questions about Rebim mashma*. So you're saying that the word Dagan doesn't mean grain, but rather anything that is stored in piles? Mativ Rav Yosef hirbu reshit Dagan tirosh v'chol zadeh The context of this Pasuk from Divrei Hayyamim is regarding King Chizkiyah uh, when he was uh, purifying the Bet HaMikdash and uh, got rid of all the idolatry and then he wanted to restart. Uh, the Kohanim and the Vi'im singing and um, doing the Korbanot in a proper way. Uh, so he also ordered the people in Jerusalem that they should give Minata Kohanim, the gifts that are due to the Kohanim and the Levi'im, the Tirumah and maaser. Uh, people were, were, were not doing it properly. And so therefore he made this announcement and was teaching it. And then that when the word spread that everybody should be. Uh, uh, coming and, and bringing their tirumah and and doing it properly. So B'nai Yisrael brought a lot of all of these categories, the shiitah the, uh, the, the the best of the grain and the wine and oil and honey and kol tibu'at sadeh and all of the grain of the uh, of the field. So we have a question here. We have the word dagan and we also have the word tivuat sadeh. Uh, so this seems to be uh, repetitive. Why would we need both of them here? And specifically this is a challenge to Rabbi Meir because he says that Dagan includes anything that is piled up. So that's a very expansive term. That's including everything, including the five grains, including tevoa. And so why would you have to say Dagan? That is very inclusive. And then also say tevoa. So how can he explain this Pasuk? Answer is oh, this comes to include also fruits and vegetables um, that they also came and harvested and they brought to the mama said um, they would bring to mama said even things that didn't require it, they went above and beyond, brought extra but more than they needed. And so this is, that's what it's coming to include. Alright, so we're going to see um, a, a, a more about this in a second. Um, and that's a continuation here. We're going to go, go, go through a similar question and answer, but now for the second statement. That Tevo'ah means only the five grains. Everyone agrees, Rabbi Yochanan explains, that if I say I'm not going to have Tevo'ah, that means only the five grains. Even Rebbe Me'ir agrees that Tevo'ah is a more limited definition than Dagan. And we have a Breitah that says the same thing. Everyone agrees. Tevua means the five grains. We ask, Pishita, isn't that obvious? Maho de te ma lo kolmile kol Oh, I might have thought that maybe the tevuah comes to include lots of things that are similar to grain. This is no, this is different. Dagan is more inclusive, can be more inclusive according to Meir, But everyone agrees, Tevu'ah is only the five grains. Okay, now having established that, we ask a question. Mativ Rav Yosef, Hirbub b'nei Israel. Rav Yosef is the same one that asked the question up here, from the same pasuk. Does Rav Yosef ask the same question twice against Rav Uh Maybe, but probably not. Probably he asked it only once, uh, but the Gemara is applying it twice, once to the Meir's first statement regarding Dagan, and now we're asking it again to the Bimeir's statement regarding tivua. But it's essentially the same question of, you just said that uh, all Dagan is uh is included um and so therefore tivua. what is tivua coming to include if all of Dagan is already more expensive than tivua, which is only the five grains now we already gave an answer uh here Abaya says it's including fruits and vegetables um we're going to um uh emphasize that answer and explain better how it how it fits in the Pasuk. you're right if it only said tivua. That would be just the five grains. But notice, it doesn't say Tevu'ah, it says Tevu'at Sadeh. So Tevu'at Sadeh means anything that grows in the field that includes fruits and vegetables, not only the grains. So there you go. So Dagan here um, includes the five grains plus anything that you would pile up, like like those Egyptian beans. And Tevu'at Sadeh comes to include fruits and vegetables. So when we bring uh, these two halves of the Suya together, um, uh, Rav Yosef maybe only asked at one time, but if we bring together the answers of Abaye and Rava, they actually mutually support themselves. And so you see that they were bringing all of these items um, during the time of Hezkiah. Now we have a great story. Bar Mor Shemuel pekid telesar alfezuzel Rava min dinhar panya. The son of Morshimuel, he owed Rava a lot of money. And so he he gave a, a, an instruction to his workers, go give thirteen thousand zoos to Rava. But don't give it to him in the form of coins and cash, but rather from Alalta. Alalta is the Aramaic translation of Tivua, So it probably means to say well, Uncle Lush translates Tivua as Alalta. Uh, from Nehal Panya, from near that river. Uh, uh, the son of Moshimuel owns some fields there and says, uh, anything that grows there, give to Rava until such time as it adds up to 13,000 zoos, which is the amount that I owe him. Okay, good. So that's, that's how he's going to pay him back. Shall Rava Rav Yosef. Rava wants to know what exactly does al Alta mean? Because now he's receiving all of this Al-Altah. Alta. is he entitled to collect from? So he asks the master, Rav Yosef, what is, it, what is called Alalta that I can go and collect from? He'd, he'd like it to be more expensive so we can collect his debt more quickly. Rav Yosef says, go look at the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, if someone may, takes a vow against Tevua, then that means only the five Minim. Nothing else. You can't add anything else to that. And so he's he's assuming that Tivua is the same same word as Al Alta, Alta is just the Aramaic translation, and therefore it's more limited, limited to only the five grains. That's it. Amal Abayah Abe, however, in the, in the, in the, in the, as part of the discussion, he says, hold on, maybe they're not exactly the same. You know, when you translate one language to another, uh, the words have different connotations, different usages. And maybe it's the that tivua that means only the five grains, but alata may mean other items, any other things that grow. Allah, anything that grows out of the ground and would be more expansive. So, uh, obviously, Rava is going to like that uh, answer better. Ahadru de Rava. So, the messengers gave the answer to Rava. Amad, Ahala kamibayali kumile komile mashmah. And Rava explains to the messengers, go back and tell them, I, You didn't misunderstood my question. Of course, I think that alata is, is an expansive definition. Like his colleague Abaye here said, and that means anything that grows. I already assumed that. I'm, I'm going to go and collect from anything that grows in the field. But my question was different. mai. I want to know what about rental income? from houses and from boats if you rent them out and you receive that that rental income and so maybe there are houses on this field or there are boats that are in that in that river um that more about the son of motion Shimuel has and Ravan wants to go and collect from that that rental income as well is that called alerta and On the one hand, maybe because these depreciate. You know, like cars depreciate, the more mileage on it. So it's worth less. So even if you get rent from cars, but the item depreciates. So that's not the same as a field. A field remains the same value. Uh, fields could also go up and down, but they don't not depreciate with use. The way homes or boats uh, will, will, uh, will depreciate uh, as time goes on. Uh, so in that, uh, if if so, then al would not include rental income. Or, since you don't notice a depreciation, uh, so it's not obvious from year to year that it's going to be worth less. Therefore, maybe it is like things that grow in the field, and therefore I want to collect from that also. That was my question. I wasn't asking you about if it's only the five grains or other things that grow, I was assuming already, like Abaye, against Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef, my question was regarding rental income. Rabbanan, come here, Rav Yosef. So then the sages went back to Rav Yosef and they told him, listen, Rava, uh, he basically rejected your opinion, right? Because Rava did give his opinion and said, it's uh, al only the five grains, that's it. And if I was like, nah, I just totally disagree with that. I wasn't even asking about that, right? That's simple to me that he's wrong. And so, got Ikpad Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef got upset at Rava's reaction. He says, Well, since he doesn't need us, so why did he ask us in the first place? In other words, he's going to come to his own conclusion no matter what. I told him that it's a limited definition, and he just brushed off my opinion. So, what kind of thing is that? You go and ask a question, and then you reject it because you don't agree with the answer? Right? This is, um, this was not, not respectful for Rav Yosef, who was their teacher. He was older. And, uh, for Ravah to, uh, treat him in this way. Of course, Ravat did not intend to, um, insult Rav Yosef. It just, you know, sometimes when you send things with messengers, um you, you get you get the wrong idea uh, uh, the, the wrong message comes through um so he certainly didn't mean it therefore he apologized so Rava heard that Rav Yosef was upset and took it to heart that he had he had uh, disagreed he um and so he comes Rava comes to Rav Yosef on Erev Yom Kippur to apologize it's an appropriate day to ask for an apology and when Ravah came, he saw, I guess is in the hallway, and he sees the attendant of Rav Yosef who is mixing a cup of wine. They would dilute the wine with water in a certain ratio, and he was about to go and serve it to Rav Yosef. Uh um, so tells the uh the Sadhamashkim here, uh, would you mind if I did the mixing uh for for Rav Yosef? Interesting, it was a messenger that caused the problem in the first place by uh, by, by perhaps not explaining the question exactly as it was, but the resolution will also be through a messenger. So Rava takes the place of the messenger. Now he's going to do it directly. In other words, So Rava, he he mixes the wine with the water ge kashatamar haden mizgada medemiz gada rav av av yosef barchama amale hunihum so after rav mixes the wine in the other room the attendant uh, the satamashkim brings it to rav yosef and Yosef is drinking it, and he notices there's something off about it. This is not the usual blend, but he knows Rava. He says, oh, I think this is the blend, this is the recipe that Ravai us- usually uses. Perhaps Ravai puts in more wine than his own attendant does. So he recognizes it right away. Uh, so this tastes like the mixing of Ravai, uh, the son of Rav Yosef, Bar-Hama. And uh, Ravai says, that's right, I am he, right? And he comes out. Uh, from the other, from the hallway, and he says, I am here. So Ravah is there to come and apologize. But before Ravah can even get a word in, Rav Yosef says, You're not allowed to sit down until you explain me, explain to me the following pasuk. He says, Don't sit down on your feet. Uh, today we sit down on our bottoms, but uh, probably then they were sitting, sitting on the floor you know, and sitting on top of their feet. So he says, Don't, You can't sit down. Tell me right away, What does this pasuk mean? מה די כתוב וממ ידוע מתנה ומתנה נחלה מנחלה אל במות the context here is the shira, the song that was said about the be'er, about the well that was with them in the desert. And you have these curious words that, until today, are difficult to decipher. Uh, something about uh, something traveling, going from these places, from uh, the, a place, Midbar, find that we know. But these other things, it's not really clear where, where they are and, and uh, why they're mentioned um, right after the poem. Are they even part of the poem, or is it saying something else? That this is where they went after they said this poem. Okay, so till today, nobody knows what these um, uh, what these place names mean. So this is a really a good question of Yosef is asking Rava, uh, what, are, what, is, what does this pasuk mean? Rava is explaining it allegorically. He's not talking about. Uh, physical place names that uh, anybody went to, but rather as teaching a moral lesson. If a person makes himself like a desert, uh, humble, open to everyone, uh, then the Torah will be given to, him, given to him as a gift. Right? This relates to why the Torah was given in the desert, so it should be free for anyone to come, nobody owns it, and so you have to be also humble, like the burning bush was, was a small bush, Okay, um, if you make yourself like a desert, then you get the then you get a gift of the Torah Matana. From Midbar, then you get Matana. matana Once you get a gift of the Torah, then you are part of God's inheritance. God uh, gives you in his his inheritance. Shinamabi Matana a concatenation of two words, God's inheritance. Once you receive this inheritance of God, then that person will rise to greatness. Bamot means a high place. The problem is, once person knows all that Torah, and now he has God's inheritance, and now he becomes a great uh, he's a great teacher. He gets honored. Everybody looks up to him. It gets, it gets into a person's uh, head, uh, it goes to his head, and now he thinks he's great. And he become he can he can um, he can become egotistical. So then Hashem has to lower him down. From Bamot you go down to the valley. And uh, not just go down to the valley, but actually all the way down to Yishimon is the wasteland. Um, uh, Have to be like all the way. Low down, totally lose your ego. But if a person learns that lesson and makes teshuva, then Hashem will raise him up again. This is a different basuk from Yeshaya, but it's connecting it because it says uh, same, same, a similar word, ge, meaning a valley. From the valley, the person will be lifted up. Okay, what's the point? Uh, that Rava, uh, he was uh, open like a desert, received the Torah, and uh got this inheritance and then rose to greatness but in his greatness uh for that moment anyway he was became a little bit haughty and therefore he treated his own teacher Rav Yosef he says oh yeah i know that i disagree with him like like it's uh, uh like it's nothing and so he got carried away with himself but now he recognizes that that was the wrong thing to do and he humbled himself by coming to Rav Yosef to apologize. And so Rav Yosef is accepting the apology and so now that Rav has made shuvah, now he can rise to greatness again. Okay, so the point is that they didn't have to go through all the uh, explicit formality of, I'm sorry I did that and, he, and Rav Yosef uh, uh, accepting the apology. They use this teaching that Ravah knew this Midrash and presented it before Rav Yosef um, and by doing that uh, Rava indicated that he recognized that what he did was wrong and therefore Rav Yosef accepted that apology. Okay, beautiful story and a beautiful midrash. Tanya hanodemin hadagan asur af yavesh Umutar belach. So back to these Egyptian beans. Someone who says I'm not going to have dagan um, is prohibited from having also ful hamistri that's dry, but it's permitted to have it wet. The reason why is because when it's dry, it's piled up, and that's according to bimeir. Uh, you this this is the opinion of the um since you pile it up to store for a long time to dry, it's the same as dagan. Uh, but if it's fresh, those the fresh ones can be eaten um as is, and therefore that is not included in the word dagan. those are not piled up. Other things, mutar uh, be be be-targem, Permit, if you say, I'm not going to have dagan, you're allowed to have rice and even wheat kernels that are split into two parts or three parts or four parts. Okay, this is all different ways of preparing uh, wheat kernels. And since they have all different names, you can see the origin of a lot of these names comes from Greek. Um, So once it changes form and changes name, so it's no longer included in the category of Dagan, and therefore those are permitted. Someone says, I'm not going to have the fruits of the year. Then he's permitted from all the fruits that grow, uh, during the year. Uh, but the fruits are certainly not going to include um, goats and lambs and milk and eggs um, and uh, chicks that are born during the year, right? That's not called fruit. It means only produce. Um, but if he said Giduleh Shana, instead of Perot HaShana, he says Giduleh. Giduleh is different. Giduleh means anything that grows. Well, even animals and and, and chickens uh, the and things that they produce. These are all things that grow during the year and therefore he would be prohibited to have all of them. Good. Um, okay, more contrasting words. Someone says, I'm not going to have any fruits of the ground. Then he's only not allowed to have anything that grows from the ground. Uh, So fruits, vegetables that have roots and actually grow from the ground. But truffles and mushrooms, even though they are, uh, they grow on the ground or on trees, uh, but they don't, their roots are are not sustained. They're not sustained from the ground. And so they they, they knew that. And it's kind of obvious when you cut them off and pull them off, you could see that they don't have roots. So uh, truffles and mushrooms are permitted. Vima margidule karka asur asurbehulan. That's if he said perota but if he said gidule karka, anything that grows in on the ground, in the ground, then it would be prohibited to even have mushrooms and truffles because they do grow in the ground even though they're not being sustained from the ground and that's the difference between the language of mean perot haaretz and gidule. so again just like here we separated between perot hashana, which would include anything that um, you know, fruits vegetables that grow uh, whereas gidule means anything that's alive so to perot haaretz means that it's actually sustained from the ground Gidule. Grows from the in, uh, on the ground would include mushrooms and truffles. What we mean? He we have a we have a question. Al davash she'en gidu lo min haaretz omesh shakoniya bidbaro ve'tanya al melech va'azemit v'al k'mehinu b'triot omer shakol niya bidbaro. We learned in the Mishnah in Berachot that anything that does not grow from the ground, you say shakol. Something that does grow from the ground, you say, bore Priha, ait, bore, uh, bore priha Adama. If it doesn't grow from the ground, then you do the catch-all, everything else shakol. And the Beraita comes and adds and uh, clarifies what are those things that do not grow from the ground that you say shakol and includes truffles and mushrooms. So you see that these are, therefore, things that end gidolo min ha'aretz and therefore, if a person says, I'm not going to have any giduleh karka, karka. It's the same thing. Well, then that should exclude uh, mushrooms and truffles, right? Mushrooms and truffles uh, we just saw from the from the bedachot are not included in something that. Grows from the ground, and that's why we say shakul and not. Bore so, if I say I'm not going to have something that grows from the ground, I should be permitted to have truffles. How come, uh, how come we just learned the opposite? <speaking in language> so, on the one hand, it does grow from the earth but it receives sustenance from the air. So, since it does grow from the earth, it's attached to the ground. So, that's why if you say Giduleh Kalka'alay you will be prohibited because uh, that will include those things that are attached to the ground. Uh, But, when we're talking about Bedachot, there we want to know where is it sustained from, not from the ground, but rather just from the air. Okay. Wait a second, that answer is not sufficient because after all, in the Mishnah it says anything that does not grow from the ground, you say, and Abaye, you even just said that mushrooms do grow from the ground. They're not sustained by the ground, but they do grow from the ground. So um, then we should not say, um, so, okay, amend the Mishnah, probably not literally amend it, but this is what it means to say on something that does not is not sustained from the ground, even if it grows on the ground, uh, but is not sustained, then you say then uh, you say she'akol, the beracha, for beracha, we go by what is sustaining it, is it actually growing from the, getting a sustenance from the ground, then you say a particular beracha, but even if it's on the ground, um, but not sustained by it, you say Shehakol. All right, that was very interesting and, uh, and relevant for knowing those berachot. Hanoder min kesut mutal besak Now, moving from food to clothing, someone says, uh, clothing is forbidden to me. Is permitted to wear sackcloth and a sheet and hamila, a curtain. Right? These are things that I mean you can put around your body, but they're not normally used as clothing. So when you see sheet or sackcloth, um, you don't say that's clothing. Um, so that'll be permitted. Amar kunam ole He says someone makes a vow, says I'm not going to wear any wool. Maybe he's wearing something wool and itchy, and says you know what, making a vow, no wool anymore. So he can still wear wool fleece, Uh, it's not made into a garment, just plain, uh, unprocessed wool. That's permitted, because that's not what you have in mind. When you say, I'm not going to wear wool, you mean a a garment of wool. And so, raw wool is permitted. Similarly, if someone says, I'm not going to wear flax, um, he only means clothing made out of flax, but uncombed flax that's still in bundles, as raw, you know, not processed, not turned into clothing, that is permitted. The Biuda hakol lefi continuing in the Mishnah says, it all depends on the person's intention, and you can tell a person's intention based on the context. For example, Taan vihiziya vayare ha kashe someone is carrying a burden of, some, of wool or linen. He's sweating and he's smelly because he's sweating and he's very uncomfortable about this and he doesn't want to have to do this again. And he says, I make a vow that wool and linen will not be upon me. Then he can still wear wool and linen garments. He just cannot um, carry them over his shoulder as a burden anymore. So we know. So because we could tell from the context, since he made the vow out of frustration from having to carry all uh, you know a heavy load, and he's sweating, and he feels so uncomfortable and smelly. So when he makes the vow, obviously he doesn't want to put himself in that kind of situation of carrying them. But it doesn't mean I don't want to wear them, um, uh, if, the, if he feels like wearing those things. So even though he said his language is all wool well, well, and linen, he actually only means carrying. Um, good. Tanya. Hanoder min hakesut mutar besak u biria u I hear that uh, uh, similar to the Mishnah, but now is going to expand on it more someone says I'm that uh, I'm not going to wear any clothing, it's permitted to wear a sheet and, a coarse, cloth- and coarse clothing and a sackcloth also. <speaking in Hebrew> um, uh, but he is prohibited from wearing uh, punda, that we find often is a money belt, or a sash, um, or this uh, sekurtia. The Gmail is going to explain what that means in a second. Uh, the other one is a leather spread, or a leather uh, sock, some kind of uh, kind of a slipper, or a leather apron, and, um, and, and, and a, a pants, and a hat. Okay, all these things are considered clothing, and so are included in the vow. My Iskurte, so this Iskurte, which we call Skurtia, that's the same thing, Iskurte, kituna de sala we're talking about a tanner's apron. Tanners when they were working, they were using a lot of very dirty materials and smelly things, so they wore this kind of apron that is also a piece of clothing and would be prohibited under that vow. Uh, with this, now we're moving to laws of Shabbat. Even though on Shabbat, you're not allowed to carry, but you're allowed to wear clothing. So anything that's clothing, certainly you can wear. The chidush here is that the def, uh, for carrying on Shabbat, uh, let's say it's raining out, um, so you are allowed to put on thick sackcloth or this coarse blanket or a sheet even though they're not typically clothing uh, to such an extent that if you made a vow against clothing you'd be permitted to wear these, these things. But for Shabbat uh, you're allowed to wear them because you are, even though they're not usually clothing, since you're using them for protection from the rain, so you are in fact wearing them so that's permitted. But what you cannot do is cover yourself with a box or a basket or a mat, right? Going, you know, putting yourself in a cardboard box even though, yeah, it protects you from the rain, but that is not where, you don't wear a cardboard box that's completely different. Um, And so that would be carrying and prohibited on Shabbat. Uh, Now, shepherds can, on Shabbat, wear sackcloth because they usually wear sackcloth. I guess they're out in the field and um, this is helpful to them, kind of like... um, Cowboys, you know, develop jeans because um, that thick cloth was important for them as they're riding their animals. Um, and, but actually, not only shepherds, but uh, anyone who usually wears sackcloth can go, and wear sack, uh, go out and wear sackcloth on Shabbat because they are wearing it, so that's permitted, even though it's not typical clothing. So the Biuda said that when we want to define what a vow means, we look at the context to figure out what the person had in mind. Tanya let's see some more examples. Mishnah bought one example, we're, we're gonna bring more. Hayala semed vehesar va kunam semed If a person was wearing wool and is not comfortable, it's itchy or too hot, and he says all wool is going to be prohibited to me, then he cannot wear wool, but he can still carry wool, if he's a wool merchant, or, in, or you know, just carrying a burden of wool, he can carry it, because that's not what he had in mind, we can see from the context, that he was diswanted, he didn't want to wear wool, similarly, if uh, someone was carrying flax and he is uh, sweating because he's carrying f- carrying the flax, and he says flax will be prohibited to me, then he's allowed to wear. He just cannot carry. Um, the second example is the same as in the Mishnah. What this Beraita adds is the opposite case of someone who only who is wearing it. So it depends what he's whatever he's doing while he makes the vow that reveals what he's upset about and why he made the vow. And so based on that, we can define what is covered and prohibited by the vow itself. Baruch Adonai